Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster. I write the comic Kadoja and blog about stuff on my website, keithrfoster.com. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Milsanda for The Accidental Aliens. All right, man. You know the deal. I gave the intro, so uh, it's time for you to set things off with, uh, what you, with what you did last week, man. Well, the thing that took the primary focus of the week, I've done, it's been a lot. Like, I've been doing a lot of stuff, so very nice productive week. The main focus, though, is inking the cover to Second Shift 10. So, unfortunately, I had an inker lined up. Um, he was supposed to tackle this probably five to six months ago, and um, uh, he kept having to push my deadline back because he had other pressing issues, bigger names, and so my project kept kind of getting pushed on the back burner. But it was okay because I was still drawing the interior pages. Um, unfortunately, when I finished the last interior page, he let me know that he couldn't do the cover. So, yay, so now I get to ink the cover. Um, and unfortunately, I had the idea to have someone else ink this the entire time I was drawing it, so I penciled it pretty tight, um, so it's really drawing the same thing over again, like exactly the type of line weights I would use, everything, like it's, honestly, I could turn in the digital file to my colorist today, and it'll, it would be done, um, but, okay, yeah, so, but for me, though, I love to have physical copies of the covers. So, you know, with, with technology the way that it is, everyone's going digital these days. Like a lot of the, the newer school artists are going digital. Um, I'm primary digital. Uh, there's going to be less of that original art market in the future. And so I like the idea that if this book ever took off, I will actually have the covers available for purchase uh, at a later date. So um, it's going to be yeah. a labor of love. It's intense. This is a very Bernie Wrightson-inspired cover, so which means there's a shitload of lines. Yeah, I mean, you had me at Bernie Wrightson, so I, I don't I don't really uh, geek out over too many artists, obviously. I focus more on the writer stuff, but Bernie Wrightson and Bill Sienkiewicz are probably my two favorite artists, and, and I'm not sure my list goes much deeper than that, just because I don't, I don't think about artists, really, you know. Um, unless they're like kind of the, the tour de force all in one Magnum creators, a la, you know, Walt Simonson or something like that. Right. The kind of people that just do absolutely everything when it comes to their book. Um, and I'll actually shoot you over the digital version of this cover right now. So you can take a look at it. Um, fun okay. fact, uh, the character, the villain in this story arc, uh, is, is loosely based off of Bernie Wrightson's features. Like when, when Bernie Wrightson was a younger man. I uh, saw some photos mm. of him, and I'm like, hey, he's kind of got, like, this particular look that I like. So I, I took a lot of his younger look and, and put it into this character. I dig it. I'm looking at it right now, man. Very cool. Yeah, lots lots of lines and definitely some, let's just call it shadowing, that is reminiscent of some Bernie Wrights and stuff. So, yeah. Uh, let's go a little inside baseball here, which is generally we record these things a week apart. And in this particular case, we pinched that timeline a little bit. We stretched it a little forward, uh, you know, last episode. And, and it's kind of at a normal time this episode. But uh, for podcast listeners, only a week has passed. But for us, a little more has passed. And in that time, I went to Philadelphia, which is my former stomping grounds. Of course, I lived there for 16 years. I went there because my kid was uh, competing in kind of like the national tournament for her sport. Um, she did wonderful. 
We we could not. I mean, reason with reasonable expectations, she could not have done better. She got all kinds of killer shit. She got national points. She got a bronze medal in one of her events. Oh she, yeah. Uh, increased her rating, right? So I mean, you you can't ask for more without biting off more than you can chew. You know what I mean? Like it, it becomes sort of lottery wishes there. But um, the reason I, I set this up is it's going to kind of be a a theme of the podcast for me today because. What that meant is a lot of the work that I did was the kind of work you take with you on the road, right? So I had worked really hard, I think, after last episode to do some editing on the on the Kadoja PDF, which is um, almost done, um, but that'll be kind of my second thing. But the first thing I wanted to talk about is uh, is really the work that kind of led to the PDF. So the the PDF... As we record this, I plan on submitting the final PDF to the printer no later than about four or five days from now. So by the time this hits the air, it will be at the printer getting printed. So if you ordered Kadoja Volume 3 through your local retailer or you back the Kickstarter, just know it's at the printer right now. It will be making its way to everyone soon, um, whether that's direct from me because you backed the Kickstarter or whether it's through a comic retailer. And I'll try to sync those up a little bit, but uh, and I'll probably need that time just because, you know, when the printer ships it to Diamond, it's probably about a three-week turnaround, and they'll ship me the books the same day, and I'll probably need some level of turnaround to get the boxes all prepped and stuff. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. But right now, what I realized is I have one final opportunity to look at the PDF one more time. And, uh, and take a look at everything I'm doing. And some of this is layouts. I think I mentioned before that I was pretty stupid when it came to the splash pages in this thing. So I've been making sure that everything works in terms of having the splash pages on the correct pages. Basically, the the uh, starting with even pages, right? If you have a splash page, then it's always going to start on an even numbered page. So you open a comic book and you're looking at page one. You turn the comic, it's page two. So two, three is how you want your splash pages to fall. Four, five, six, seven, etc. You You can't have a splash page starting on an odd number, although I guess you technically could if you wanted to like start the book on a different page. So I mean, it's flexible, right? But mo more importantly, they all have to be the same, whatever it is. So all your all your splash pages better start on evens or odds. And I didn't have that because I didn't think it all the way through. So I worked on that. But then in addition, since I had time, I went ahead and printed out. And I recommend this to people who are in kind of the final stage. Get a little bit of distance from your final PDF if you have the time. Print the whole thing out in like, I don't know, dump all the pages into a PDF and then print it out somehow um, and then flip through it. And then you'd be amazed at what little dialogue things um, might have typos. Um, in my case, the typos were really clean, but there was some cleaning up of dialogue that I wanted to do. So I did basically another edit, a very light edit in terms of um, of doing that. So that took a couple days, actually, because I wanted to really take my time. I ended up taking most of one entire flight um, to get that all handled, which was, you know, three hours on an airplane, which is, is a lot of time. But it's great because it's dedicated time. That's the coolest thing about it. You're sitting on an airplane. You got nothing else to do. Maybe a couple other things to do, but your options are limited. It's not like being home. So I was able to go through that. And uh, and by, mid, you know, a couple days later, I had the workable PDF with all kinds of markings all over it. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you on that, that airplane time. It's freaking killer. Um, I think in issue eight of the second shift, the interior art on the credits page, I did all that while I was on the plane. And it was just like super fun. So yeah, I love that dedicated time. Most nights when you really get through the things you need to do, 
you might have like one and a half. If, if you're doing well, you might have one and a half, two hours to do some creative stuff. And if you have three hours on an airplane, well, then you've just had two days worth of time right there. You know yep. what I mean? Like, it's, it's just amazing. And obviously, I was on a, a level of vacation, so I had time to do things. Although, you know the way these vacations work, especially when they center around, like, your kid's sports competition. You have nowhere near as much time as you think. And uh, and you want to enjoy your time, too. So, yeah, exactly So right. given that, I... And, yeah, yeah. So I went through uh, the PDF. I made all my marks, and I've been back a couple days since, and I was able to get them all in. So uh, last night and the night before, I went back into all the files, edited the bits of dialogue I wanted. I still have one minor change I think I need to make. I need to make sure the pages line up, and if they don't, then I have a backup page that I can fill in if necessary. But um, in general, the PDF is pretty much done, and... Uh, I'll go ahead and pair up this thing since it's PDF with the second thing, which is I think earlier I mentioned that Lance Pilgrim was going to go ahead and do the color covers. And I just got those yesterday. Um, they look fantastic. I am so happy with them. Again, we are talking about three files here. We are talking about the Kadoja trade for Diamond. We are talking about the basic Kickstarter trade. And then we're talking about the Gallery Edition trade, which was a kind of higher level, very, very limited trade that we were offering through the um, through the Kickstarter. So I took a look at the files for all three of those. They're gorgeous. Lots of great colors. And um, I'm excited to get it printed up. So Next time we talk, I will talk about probably how it's been sent to the printer and how I'm just waiting. So uh, anyway, this was I just had this opportunity for a nice bit of final work to get that all in. I spent a lot of time, you know, fine tuning the nuanced things of the PDF, like dropping in the barcode on the ones you need, you know, etc. Um, the kind of things that you can't forget, but uh, are sort of boring to work through. But anyway, so as of right now, the PDF is almost done. I'm going to do one semi-final version of it tonight upload it to my Google Drive and then look at it at my leisure tomorrow and then it'll either be ready to go or I'll need to make one more change and I'll have the working PDF two days from now. That's awesome man. Uh, I love the feeling where you're at the home stretch. You could see the finish line. It very much sounds like that's where you're at so definitely a good place to be. I don't know about you man. Maybe you know like you can kind of give your answer of this but the problem is when I get this close to the end of something I tend to get really nitty with with like how good I think it should be. Like, I treat the goddamn thing like it's the final draft of The Great Gatsby. If you ask me, I'm not going to think, like, this is going to be some extant masterpiece of modern culture like the Mona Lisa or anything, but yet I'm putting the amount of work into it where where I am treating it like the Mona Lisa or like The Great Gatsby in a lot of ways. So I think, you know, part of that, I think there is a little bit of a creator thing there, um, maybe a little bit of a lesson, in that at some point, your product's just ready to go. And if you didn't create a masterwork of literature, well, so be it. <laughs> you know, let, let the audience judge what, what's a masterwork and what's not. But what you don't need to do is put unnecessary pressure on yourself and feel like this thing needs to be tweaked and tweaked and tweaked and tweaked and tweaked. No, you did it. You trust yourself. You trust your, your creative vibes. You trust the work that you've done. And you just put it out there. And uh, that's the kind of thing I had to overcome. But it's time to put this out there, and it's it's the story it is, and I'm excited for it. Yeah, I, I get this. I get something similar to that. I would say it's like equivalent of leaving for the airport and thinking, did I turn off the coffee maker? Did I unplug the coffee? Like, there always just feels like there's one more thing that needs to be done. So it's not that I need to tweak it. I'm just more concerned that there's some kind of typo or there was something I didn't account for or something that I was supposed to fix and just hadn't fixed yet. And, uh, you know, after a while, you just got to go, 
no, I, I did everything. I unplugged everything. The, the front door is locked. The back door is locked. The garage is closed. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's a great way of going into a couple other quick segues, follow-ups on this, which is I've mentioned this before, and uh, and it's worth mentioning again that, you know, in my novel class, I think somebody always somebody asked the question, it may have even been me, to the teacher, when, when you get to something, when you finish your novel, like, how do you know it's done, right? And I think the how do you know it's done question is something that a lot of creators um, ask themselves. And uh, the best answer I've ever heard to that is is that you know you're done when the changes don't necessarily make things better, they just make them different. And I've given that answer before, and it's worth noting now because I actually went through the PDF the first time and I made all these markups. And then, as as a what's the word neurotic as this sounds, I then reviewed all those changes that I had that I had thought through and asked myself, is this does this make it better or does it make it different? Um, or is it a bit of like word mincing that really isn't that important? And uh, what I found is I think I went through and found 35 changes I wanted to make, but 12 of them, I think 12 to 15 of them were changes that I then said, no, screw it. It's fine the way it is. You know, so again, better versus different is always, the. It, it, you know, it's very hard. It's always a fine line you need to balance, but um, but that's the best you can do, you know? And uh, And one other follow-up since we're on the PDF here. I just got the order numbers in from Diamond a couple days ago, and uh, I was I was pleased to see the order numbers. But what I was more pleased with was something that we've given some discussion to on the podcast, which is in addition to the orders for Volume Three, I was happy to see some reorders roll in for both Volumes One and Two. Nice. So that's great. That's exciting because it means that you know some retailers out there and some people out there want to get the whole story instead of just starting with volume three. And that was based on not soliciting it in previews, but instead putting it on the previews order form, I think, or trusting people to just find it themselves. So that uh, without us, you know, I mean, we publicized it on social media, which was great. We publicized it on this podcast, which I think was great. Um, and it resulted it, 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 it resulted in orders. So that's pretty, it's always exciting to see. Hell yeah. All right, man. That's That was a big, long, winding first thing. What was your second thing? Um, so I'll do a little combo pack here. Um, so I'll go into... Okay, so yeah, I'm going to combo these next few things here. So uh, I'm going to... Uh, well, number one, because this will be quick. Uh, a quick Kickstarter update. Eddie finally got back to me. And uh, he had sent out an update recently saying, you know, hey, packages are going out. Basically, the only things that are left are the commissions. And, uh, you know, if anyone has any question, please message me on Kickstarter. So uh, I took that opportunity. I waited a day and hit him up and just, you know, was like, hey, man, just just curious if I could get like a loose time frame or something like that. Something to tell my Kickstarter backers uh, when when they should expect this to to get rolling. And he said he couldn't give me an exact date, but it is a loose date of either the end of this month or the end of next month. So I kind of got a I, what, I don't even know what the date is. So it's like a month and a half time, basically, um, to get the cover. So fingers crossed, it's closer towards the end of this month than it is the end of next. But it is what it is. So, you know, going into uh, yeah. Kickstarters without all of your stuff, without all your ducks in the row, um, or, you know, both in hand, whatever that, that phrase is, um, you know, this stuff happens, you know, and that's part of the risks and rewards. Uh, so that so that was uh, the first yes. part of this this combo pack. And um, I'm calling this segment Making Toys. So I do commission work for a uh, pro wrestling loot, and they do all wrestling-related items. And so I usually draw toys. They're made into toys. Um, so I had a couple of figures that I drew. It's a tag team. So this is 
first tag team pack he's doing. Um, so I bang that out. Um, and to link along with that, uh, we talked about last pod or, or two pods ago, I had my own toy made. Um, you know, I had a figure I, yeah. I, I wrestled for 10 years. And so I actually went down to their, um, their office, their hub, where they keep all the toys. They do all the signings, everything. I went over there and I signed off on like, I don't know, hundreds of toys. It was kind of awesome. So nice. Uh, yeah, man. And he actually hooked it up. He gave That's me badass. Like, yeah, it was it was super cool. Um, and there's three variants. The standard one is like a blue and black figure. And then uh, two variants are a pink and black and then yellow and black. So um, he gave me a shit ton. Ooh, yellow and black. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah Kobe, he, Kobe uh, Bryant, Playboy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the last couple of years of my wrestling career, I was wearing yellow and black. So um, people were surprised I went with the blue and black, but they did not know I had some some variants in there. And so you're actually able to get all three colors. Um, and, and then he actually hooked it up with all of the figures I had drawn previously. So he gave me uh, pretty much two of everybody that I've ever drawn for him. So uh, a nice like... Nice. Yeah, like I might keep one of each of everybody and sell the other one, you know, just like a nice little side income. Um, so uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool day going up there and signing. Hell yeah, man. That's killer. That's killer. It's that kind of stuff sounds fun and I think is fun. You know, I, I suppose your hand probably cramped after a couple hundred signatures, but, you know, that's that's a position a lot of people want to be in. Right. So I think that's I yeah. think that's really cool. They had a really cool uh, re- relay relay style. um to get them to me so like one guy would put it like right in front of me and as soon as i signed it i would move it to another area another area uh, another guy would take those so we just like kept it rotating and moving so we we got a nice little yeah. flow going so that helped quite a bit yeah that reminds me of a, of a random story in that um when i lived in philadelphia there was a record store signing at this spot called vintage vinyl in new jersey and it was about an hour 20 away, something like that from where I live in Philly. I mean, it's, it's a bit north in terms of Jersey. I can't remember. I think it's north of New Brunswick for people that are fluent in Philly, New Jersey, New York geography. And, uh, and so Judas Priest was doing this signing. And I was like, fuck yeah, man, I'm going to get Judas Priest to, to sign my shit. So I got a ticket and, uh, and I worked that day, made my way there. And God damn it, traffic hit me. And, uh, and the signing was going to be at, I think, let's go with 6 p.m. And so I was timing that I was going to get there at like 6.35 or something like that. So I'm like, you know, I think they mentioned that there were like 600 people, 6.30, 6.35 at a 6 o'clock signing. No big deal. I'll just show up and be last in line. I'll get them to sign my album, blah, blah, blah. I get there at 6.35, dude. They're gone. Or like 6.40. They're gone. Like, wow. and I was like, did, did, did the signing still happen? I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. They were here. They signed. They're in like their van or their tour bus already. So I quick ran out to see if they could like sign it, but no, they were gone, dude. 600 people, man. That, I mean, I, you ca- ca- go ahead. You math nerds out there calculate how fast people have to sign shit for that to happen. But it was exactly that. It was like an assembly line in real life. It was not the opportunity to, um, to, to like talk or chop it up or do any, you know, get a photo, any of that stuff. It was like all business, all business. Yeah. But uh, can I actually, can I give another stupid signing story that I just thought of? Yeah, man. Yeah, of course. You know, I think uh, listeners know that, that Scott and I are huge basketball fans. What they may not know is that I had season tickets to the 76ers for about 10 years 
and uh, and then you know had season tickets to the Clippers for about you know like four or five um, when I moved here because I just love live basketball. And when you're a season ticket holder, there's obviously these perks. And one of the perks back in the day was to uh, you know you'd have like occasional 76ers that would do these signings. So you'd bring like one of them was like donate a book you know, a player will sign something, you know, like cool things that really help the community. Um, and a couple players that I got, one was uh, Lou Williams when he was with the 76ers. Oh, cool. And another was Andre, Andre Iguodala. For the Andre Iguodala one, and Andre Iguodala is a very strong NBA role player who has had some amazing moments in big situations like the finals. Although his biggest moment was probably on the receiving end of one of the most iconic blocks in NBA history that like lost the game for them, right? But but um, anyway, so Iguodala is there, and he's he's doing his signing, and it was another one of these. It was such an assembly line that, like, you walk up, and you give – so I had a basketball, an Iguodala basketball, right? And you give it to the first handler, who gives it to the second handler, who puts it down in front of Iguodala, who signs it, who gives it to a third handler, who gives it to a fourth handler, so you basically don't even need to break stride when you are walking by him. Right. And and some people do photos and some people don't. Uh, Andre Iguodala was one of those dudes. He was just signing away. All I remember about this signing is that, like, I get up there, I hand my basketball to the first person, they hand it to the second person. And then at the meantime, I am pacing to follow the path. It's like following your car through the car wash. Like I am walking at the exact same speed that my basketball is moving through this process. The ball gets to Iguodala and Iguodala looks up to his handler. And I swear to God, he was not talking to no one was talking to him no one said anything and he just looks up at the ball handler and he goes ain't no shame in my game <laughs> and then goes back to signing <laughs> so it's like <laughs> i still love that so much because like he just said that unprompted yeah i i guarantee no one was actually talking to him and he just decided to offer to the universe that there in fact is no shame in his game <laughs> you know so anyway <laughs> a stupid thing to share but anyway uh so yeah so yeah that was that was a cool that was a cool second thing man um, did you have anything else? Because I do want to talk about, with the spirit of our new podcast stuff, I want to talk about a little bit of, like, a creator angle that I thought of, and we're just going okay. to go off the dome for it. But And then maybe I'll talk about Philly to close things out. So so for me, I don't necessarily have a big second thing. I mean, getting the Kadoja PDF in order was essentially, like, four or five things in one. I just bundled them all into one big heading. But uh, in the spirit of wanting to always focus on some angle of creating a comic, perhaps marketing a comic, selling your comic, um, I wanted to talk about, and, and Scott has not been warned for this, so we're just going to kind of go with it, is let's say that you know you have a book that you're, you're proud of, you're ready to kind of share with the world, and, uh, and, and you want to figure out some ways to share it, right? So I, I think in the back of my mind, I thought of three specific ways that you could do that, specifically if you live in the United States. Um, I think it might be different if you live anywhere else, and I do know that we have a lot of global uh, podcast listeners, so unfortunately I can't speak to how things might work in, in people's home countries out there that aren't the United States. The first and most obvious way, and Scott, feel free to like chime in on whatever you want to talk about here. The first way that's the most obvious is to to get your book out is to just put it on a website, right? Create a website or market it directly, create an Instagram page, whatever it's going to be. Get out there with social media, get out there with talking about your book and do that electronically. Um, so there's upsides and downsides of that, right? The, the upside of that is that it's very easy to do. Um, the downside is that because it's very easy to do, there's a very low barrier to entry and it's going to be difficult to kind of separate your book 
from the noise, the clutter of everybody else putting books out there. You know, so um, I, I mean, I encourage people to do that. I think we've talked before about also the self-distribution route. And um, what I'll try to do is I think there are ways to really find some stores that cater to indies. And I will see if I can just get a, a list up that we can have in time for when this podcast airs to give people a list of some stores that they can check out where you want to call them directly and see if they'd be interested in stocking your book. So the first way, again, do it direct, do it yourself get a website up there and maybe call a few comic shops to see if they'd be interested in, in stocking your book. Yeah. And, uh, what will happen? So there's going to be a couple of ways when you do call the stores, the store will either buy the book from you outright. Uh, more than likely it'll be a 50, 50 split. So let's just pick a number. Let's say your, your book is two ninety nine or three ninety nine. It'll be one fifty or $2 that you'll get per issue. Um, or it'll be consignment, you know, they'll give you the shelf space and then they will more than likely still want half of the profit. Uh, there are some other stores mm -hmm. that have other deals. You're going to have to like talk to them to see what their specific deal is. But just to warn you, it's going to be more than likely a 50, 50 split either upfront or after you sell something. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a fair expectation to put out there. That 50-50 split if you're doing stuff yourself. I mean, that is that is the split that I personally accepted when I called up a bunch of stores. You know, I'm happy to say that when Kadoja first came out, um, we sold a whole lot of copies of the first issue. It kind of dropped off a cliff after the first issue because everybody likes issue ones and many less people love issue twos. But... Um, you know, you can find a good amount of stores out there that are willing to stock your stuff if you just keep on talking to them and respect their time and understand um, understand how the comic business works. And when I say understand how the comic business works, that means do not call the comic shop owner on a Wednesday and do not call the comic shop owner on the weekend. So what that really means, you know, since many com and, and many comic shops are closed on Mondays. So I have just eliminated five of the seven days in the week for you. Tuesdays and Thursdays are always pretty good days to call a comic shop. And maybe Fridays. Fridays aren't too bad either. In fact, I'd probably say Thursdays and Fridays are the best days. But do not call a comic shop owner on New Comic Wednesdays. That is the busiest day of the week for every single comic shop that's out there. And I would say Tuesday might be a little problematic as well. Because most of the time, mm -hmm. that's when they're getting the new books in. And they're organizing. They're doing the drop boxes, exactly. the pull lists, and all that stuff. So yeah, what, what Keith said, probably yeah. uh, Thursday, Friday. That really brings us to, to the second way, um, I think, to do it, which is going through Diamond uh, or a, a distributor. I mean, there's basically only one, one game in the universe right now. I mean, I guess there's the second distributor. But Diamond still tends to corner the market on that. And uh, look, if that's something you're serious about, then I encourage you to just go to the Diamond website. Just look for Diamond Comics, Diamond Publications, Diamond Distributors, and they will give you, they have an, a very long PDF on what exactly their guidelines are, what their expectations are, and, and what you should do. Um, keep in mind, the cut will probably be much less favorable than if you do it yourself, but the advantage is visibility. And, uh, and obviously, there is no guarantee that any of Diamond's retailers or, you know, all of Diamond's retailers are going to stock your book. If it's an indie book, if you're doing it yourself, um, there, you know, you, I, I can't expect that all the retailers are going to want it. But if you can get Diamond, um, if you can get on board with Diamond and solicit your book and then, you know, put the necessary push behind it, 
very, very helpful. You know, it's it's going to expand your audience. But uh, as with any of these things, a thing to keep in mind is, you know, this is not Field of Dreams. You can't just list your book in Diamond and have billions of people order it. You're still going to have to hustle. Nothing, nothing at any level of indie comics making reduces the amount of hustle you have to do. You know, it, it helps you a little bit. It's, it's going to aid you. And it's very cool. You know, there is that nice cred of, of telling people that, like, go to Diamond and just order this. Go to your retailer and just order this. But the amount of work doesn't change. You're always going to have to hustle. You're always going to have to get your book in front of people. And you're always going to have to, you know, make people aware of this book you have that people can order, pre-order, whatever it is. Um, I, so I, I have a third one. I'd have a third one. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, Comixology. So that would be uh, the digital version of Diamond, I guess. Uh, Comixology, I think, is owned by Amazon. And that's kind of been the largest digital distribution of all comic books. Like, that's like the, you know, next to Marvel, Marvel's Unlimited, Marvel Unlimited, which is like, I think, six months behind. Mm -hmm. But it's a, a flat rate. I think it might be 10 to $15 a month. And you can basically read their entire catalog, whatever they have uploaded. You can read all of it for yeah. that that monthly fee. Um, so, but yeah, uh, Comicsology they do accept indie titles, and uh, they do that cool uh, swipe through feature where it kind of zooms in on panels and dialogue bubbles and everything like that. Yes, yeah, and that that's actually a great one. That's not my third one, but uh, it is worth noting that if you're an indie indie, the queue time for Comicsology is insanely long. Like we are talking six months to get your book in the queue and have them give it like the comiXology swipe treatment. So just something to keep in mind, again, in terms of you planning ahead as a creator. Um, and then that brings us to my third thing, which is sort of sort of related to the first thing, but I wanted to call it out a little bit more, which Scott and I have talked about. Uh, shows, right? Shows are my favorite way of selling a book because... You're live in the flesh with people. People get to walk by your table and people get to see your book, check out your book, feel your book, see your banner, you know, get to know you, get to talk to you. And, you know, not only in terms of creator friends, um, I mean, obviously Scott and I met by because we were randomly chosen to sit next to each other at a convention. And I have a lot of other friends, not not as tight as Scott, but I have friends that, you know, I've met because we got randomly placed next to each other or you just find each other or somebody finds out about you and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, comic shows are super, super helpful in terms of getting your book out there, in terms of getting it in front of people and in terms of just, you know, the best thing about comic shows is feedback. It's so hard to get feedback through any of these other things. And when it comes to Diamond... You're never going to know who actually orders your books. You just get an order through Diamond. Who knows where in the United States, or I think there is some global nature to Diamond, where the hell that book is going. You just get one order, and then they handle all the distribution. When it comes to comic shows, though, you get to talk whatever you want, man. You know, since I do giant monster stuff, I get to have a lot of killer Godzilla discussions. I get to have a lot of killer giant monster discussions, and whatever discussions you want to have. You need, and more importantly, I think it also, and I think I've, I have mentioned this before, it shows that you're serious. It shows that you're willing to invest A, in a table, and B, the necessary signage to, to work your own table, and C, the time to get out there and talk about your book to people. So if your book is good, and you have a good banner, 
this is one case where Field of Dreams is going to pay off. People will show up at your book, at your booth, and they will check out your books. So um, anyway, the, I, I'm a big fan of shows. I think they're wonderful. Obviously, the biggest shows are the hardest ones to get into, but that doesn't mean you should ignore all of those local shows in whatever area you live in to really go check out stuff. And remember when you guys are doing these shows, you're representing your product. So if you're having a bad day, um, try not to translate that to your audience, the people that are talking to you at the table. I've sat next down, I've sat next to people who were just like they were shooting themselves in the foot. Like they weren't making a lot of sales and uh, someone made a beeline straight for their table. I was sitting right next to them. And um, she's like, hey, how you doing? And she's like, she was ex- super excited. Like the guy had a bit of a cartoony style. And um, she goes, hey, how you doing? And he goes, be better if I had some sales. And then she's like, oh, okay. And then she left. Like she, he killed his own sale. Just by having that attitude, like letting them know that you're having a shit day when it comes to that. It's like, you know, um, that that doesn't work on a lot of people, a good amount of people. They're not going to be like, oh, I feel really bad for you. Let me buy something from you. And, and honestly, is that exactly. is that a sale you want? Like, do you want people buying your book based off of pity? Like, I don't think that I don't think that's what you want, you know. So uh, just keep that in mind when you are at tabling at conventions like you know, you're, you're selling your product. You are your product. So, you know, try to have a positive outlook. You know, even if the day's going bad, just just hype it up. They don't know how bad your day is. And, uh, you know, that'll totally translate to them and it, and it can work into a sale. You know, like, hey, this guy's pretty cool. I like, or this guy or this gal, they're, they're pretty cool. I like, I like their attitude. Their art seems good. You know, the premise of the story seems cool. Yeah, I'll pick it up. I'll give it a go. So uh, that helps a lot. So keep that in mind. Dude, I, I could not agree with you more. And and you actually used the exact word that I was going to use, which is pity. I, I cannot stand that. Straight up, man. Nobody gives a fuck that you're having a bad day. Like all they know is or, or that you're not having enough sales because guess what? They are a potential sale. Mm-hmm. So whoever, you know, like whoever came before them, if if person A is interested in your book and you had a hundred people over the last six hours that haven't given a crap, guess what? Person A does. And there's no reason for you to influence person A with what happened with the multiple hundreds of people that came before them. Mm-hmm. I have, I have been next to those people too. And it's just like, man, what a downer. Mm-hmm. You're, you're here to talk about your book and more importantly, you're here to have a good time. You know, yeah, like exactly. let's, let's remind everyone, let's remind everyone you've made a comic that's killer. That's exciting. You've created something and now it exists in a physical format and you get to share that with other people. Enjoy that, right? People want to enjoy that with you. And not only that, like even you could lose a sale. Like imagine you doing that and then the person just goes to the person next to you and the person next to you has a great attitude and they end up buying their book. Like that's going to ruin your day even more. Yeah. <laughs> so just... <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. And and so much of in-person sales... And so much of it is about you, you know, like if to to Scott's point, if your book is like passes a threshold of decency and you're super cool, that's enough, man. You know, so anyway, I'm not not to harp that point, but I mean, that pretty much wraps it up. Those are some basic things to look into. If anybody out there has any more questions, then we have an email. We have making comics podcast at Gmail. We have ways to hit us up via social media, direct, whatever you like. And we're happy to answer questions or we're happy to answer questions on the air. 
So um, so that was really what I wanted to talk about. I think you had one more thing you wanted to discuss as well. Right? Yeah, um, I actually have a pet peeve, and I think it goes, goes in nicely with this because we're kind of talking about, um, you know, kind of like protocol and etiquette while you're at a show. And uh, something I had, I had talked about a couple of weeks ago was pet peeves. So I, I found another pet peeve, and I, and I discovered it by reading a book that is a couple of years old. Uh, I I realized like hey I haven't finished this series let me, I have all the issues let me tackle this book and it came across an issue and it had a word in it that I have not heard in a long time a long time Star Wars uh, was fidget spinners <laughs> so <laughs> hold on hold on hold on let me just enjoy that Obi Wan Kenobi reference for a second thank you ah uh, yeah that was good. That was actually really good, yeah. and I hope everybody really got a nice a nice uh, swig of their drink on that one. That was a good one. <laughs> oh, speaking of, what what are you drinking tonight? I got a, um, I think a buddy gave this to me. Uh, it was at a, a friend's beer tasting. It's Maui Brewing Company. It is a coconut hiwa porter. It is freaking delicious. A six percent. I really, really enjoyed this. It's a yeah, quite good. A coconut porter. Okay, that sounds fun. That sounds fun. Um, hey, I'm drinking something a buddy gave me. You. Oh, I'm nice. Rocking the Shipyard Smash Blueberry, which I think you've had it. It's an ale with natural flavors. It says it is a hybrid of a porter and a scotch. And what's really funky about the beer is your first one ounce, two ounces feels like you just got punched in the face by like a blueberry golem. You know, you almost get a little immune or numb to the blueberryness of how how it tastes and it becomes really like a scotch porter fusion and uh and then about halfway through you realize that it's nine percent abv <laughs> and that's when at that and that's when the party really starts to jump <laughs> so yeah man I, I i dig it again one sip in two sips in i thought it was really weird and i couldn't believe how goddamn blueberry it was uh-huh. but uh you know that that was that was like fourteen ounces ago the last time i recall tasting blueberry you know that's that's interesting because that beer, and, and I told you that when I gave it to you, it was not a fan favorite at the, the the beer tasting party. And I was like, well, let me know what you think. And so that's interesting because we all had a couple of swigs worth. So we all got punched in the fla- face with the blueberry and we we're like, what the fuck is this? So it, it's interesting yeah. to know that yeah. if we just kept on it, uh, the, the taste would have changed. But uh, yeah. Yeah, dude, you just well, you just ignore the boob, the blueberry because the the booze factor kicks in. Yeah, and and you also like it's it's kind of the equivalent of when you walk into a room and there's a noticeable smell, either good or bad, right? Like if you're oh I don't know if you're on a Philadelphia um, public transit system, let's say urine, <laughs> right? Like the smell the smell of urine might overwhelm you. But the crazy thing about it is 45 seconds in, you don't even smell it anymore. Like there's this weird, I'm sure there's a physiology thing to that where you just adjust to it. And I think that kicks in here. And that happens with like an overwhelming perfume. It happens with all kinds of things. And I think in this case, it happens with how goddamn blueberry those first couple sips are. So yeah, if you don't go past the first sips, you just remember that it was just a blueberry assault on your senses. But when you get yeah. through it and you tune down the blueberry, all of a sudden it's like it's a pretty decent, powerful scotch ale. You know, so yeah, mm. man, pretty pretty interesting. Again, it gets better the more you drink it, which is uh, I suppose most beers are that way. But this one is <laughs> is that way only, only accentuated. <laughs> right. So anyway. Nice. Okay. So to oh, my point yeah. uh, 
of the pet peeves. Yes. The word fidget spinner was around for six months or something like that. You know what a fidget spinner is, right? Yeah, it was just... I totally know what a fidget spinner is. Yeah, it was this fad thing. Everyone had them, and uh, it went away as fast as it showed up. And uh, it's in a very popular book. They were talking about a fidget spinner. The book's a couple of years old. I was like, ugh, this did not age well. So when you're creating your books, watch out for stuff like that. Watch out for fidget spinners, kadamas, I don't know, whatever else people are into at the moment. Because those things are fads. It will date your book. And if it's not a cool reference, it'll date your book in a very bad way. If it's like... Yes. If it's like a band in the 80s, like you're talking about a band, like you're putting a book out in the 80s and you're talking about a band in the 80s, whatever, it's probably a cool band. Hopefully, fingers crossed, you're talking about a cool band. So that'll yes. age nicely. It will be ca- it will be captured in a time. It will be a moment in time, but at least that'll be a cool moment in time. Where fidget spinners, that was polarizing yes. when it was happening. It was just like, ah, eh, those are kind of stupid. And then people are like, no, they're super cool. Yeah. And then now, like, they don't exist. So... Uh, just keep that yes. in mind when you're yes. creating. I, I would I would like to riff on this and just give a quick analogy. Uh, I got married to my wonderful wife in 2014. Right, it's, it is my second marriage. I'm pretty disclosing about that. But uh, we had a conversation about what we wanted our introduction song to be when it came to like the wedding party. Right, so they introduced the wedding party. What do we want our introduction song to be? And the funny thing is, you are going to know exactly when I got married because my wife really wanted Farrell Williams' is Happy to be our <laughs> wedding song. And I said, no way in hell do I want Happy to be our wedding song because that is that is a big song right now. And it is, and it is, it is the song that everybody getting married right now is getting introduced to at their goddamn wedding. And I don't want that. Like, just just whatever you do, please don't date us to this, right? It's going to peg it to this. So I, I'm happy to say that I success, uh, successfully won that argument. What'd you end up coming out to? I'm going deep cut here. We ended up coming out to the instrumental version of Simon Says by Pharaoh Munch. Okay. Uh, are you familiar with that song? I am not. It samples the Godzilla theme. That's the important thing. So it's basically like the intro of Godzilla. It goes like, right. And so anyway, so yeah, that was, that was a joyous time. And, and before it, if anybody who knows the lyrics to that song will know, I went to the DJ right before and I'm like, this is the instrumental, right? And he's like, oh, of course it's the instrumental. I wouldn't do that to you. <laughs> Why? What are the lyrics? Uh, okay, so the lyrics, uh, so the first thing he says is, and I'll probably just beep this out for the hell of it. Well, I'll beep out some of it. Get the fuck up. <laughs> Simon <laughs> says, get the fuck up, right? And then it goes like, da 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 da. And then it says, girlies. <laughs> right like that's part of it so so you best believe that i just bleeped that part out <laughs> so anyway and that's and that's timeless right the godzilla theme is timeless so no matter when we rewatch that video we're not going to have to suffer through Pharrell williams is happy right. <laughs> right and like oh my god that's right we got married in october of 2014 yeah <laughs> godzilla kaiju that world it's it's such a part of you so it just it kind of makes sense and then plus that's a badass because i have heard that i just didn't you know i don't know a lot of artists names sometimes but if you play me the song I'm like yeah of course mm-hmm. i know that song so yeah that that song is super totally. badass all right man so let's talk about philly let's talk about philly 
But where do I start? Where do I start? I want to try to keep this as comic focused as possible. I already talked about how the 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 result of my kid um, my kid's athletics was just as good as anyone could possibly expect. Um, so let me just start by saying that uh, a couple a couple high points. Right, number one, the food there was fantastic. Um, anybody who's been to Philadelphia will know that the convention center where this event was held, and which I've done some comic conventions in is very, very close to this iconic part of Philadelphia known as the Reading Terminal Market. It is a massive indoor market with 80-plus food vendors, and you can get anything there, man. Mm. There's there's two cheesesteak places. Both cheesesteak places are quite good. Um, you can get pizza. You can get all kinds of dope stuff. Um, I think I did, and I think I posted a few things there, right? Um, uh, for my, I mean, it's long gone now on the Instagram, but I think I posted some slices of pizza I got, not from the Reading Terminal, but from Old City. Uh, man, just amazing pizza. Um, such good food. Such, such good food. So that was fun. Um, and it was, but what was wild is, so the first big thing is that it was wild to be back in Philadelphia. This is a place I moved away from in November 2009, which is a very long time ago, yet feels like it's yesterday because that's just the way time moves in, in some ways. I was a tourist. You know, my wife wanted to do a lot of the, you know, Liberty Museum, Constitution Center, Liberty Bell kind of stuff. It was fun as hell, man. I bet everybody who's listening out there, no matter what city you're in, odds are you probably haven't done the tourist stuff in your own city. That's just the way this stuff works. You know, yeah. like I haven't done much tourist stuff in Los Angeles and I live here. Philly, I didn't do the tourist stuff when I lived there, but damn it, I come back and I visit and all of a sudden I'm doing the tourist stuff. So it was it was really fun to actually be a tourist um, and uh, and sort of enjoy Philly from, from that particular way. That was that was really cool. In terms of comics, there I was a little I was a little disappointed, I suppose, in what the comic shops had to offer in Philadelphia. I went to one shop and it was okay. I mean, so the first shop I went to of relevance, it was a, a I think it was called either Atomic Comics or Atomic City Comics. That's down on South Street, which is a popular kind of tourist shopping street. The thing that was super disappointing about that place is they don't stock back issues. It's just current comics and they have about 10 to 12 long boxes of well they're technically dollar books but if you buy 20 of them they're 10 bucks so oh, 50 wow. cent books basically that's if awesome you buy. yes and and i did i did get some fun books there in fact particularly delightful was that of all things they had the lolo woods number one which that was what i missed when I went to uh, SoCal Comics a few weeks ago and we talked about it. How crazy that I got two through five and seven when I was at uh, SoCal Comics and this Philly store had one and six in the 50 cent <laughs> bin. Like, you couldn't have planned it better, you know? And, and that never happened. So that was really exciting to have that. But um, anyway, so Atomic Comics, Atomic City, I'll... I'll I'll remember, but uh, they were they were pretty cool. But I wish they had back issues. In terms of time, I ended up going to Fat Jack's Comic Crypt, which is downtown. It's on Twentieth and Sansom, and uh, I got some good books there. So I was I was pretty pleased on that. I think that's also where I got your books. Okay, right. I think I found some Savage Dragons for you. That's where I texted you mm -hmm. that hey brother, I found some Savage Dragons on your list, and I found some cool books for myself too. So I obviously could have spent like five times that in the store, but. 
we all have budgets for a reason. And, uh, and that was a pretty cool place to go, considering that I had limited time. If I had more time, I would have gone to actually what used to be my old neighborhood comic shop. It's a place called Ontario Street Comic Market. I believe it's in the Port Richmond section of Philadelphia. What's the, the best thing about Ontario Street is it is a long box heaven. Like, if you're willing to dig, you're going to find stuff there. But the operative phrase there is, if you're willing to dig. Because from what I understand, the comics are not alphabetized, they're not organized, and there are hundreds of long boxes of back issues. This is a four-hour minimum type of investment that you would need to make if you were going out there. What? what how much was it? Are these dollars or 50 cents or quarters or... I would imagine, well, I would imagine that there are probably some level of premium back issues. You know, it's, it's, we're probably right. talking four or five dollar comics. Oh, shit. I don't think they're okay. mixing in like 15, 20 dollar comics. So, I mean, we're talking premium back issues here, but the point is they have a ton of them. You just got to be able to look for them. What I was thinking was that, you know, the athletic stuff with my kid, hanging out with my family, because my, my mom and dad went with me too. Um, that was, that was going to be nice. It was going to be the kind of thing we remember for a while. And then what I thought the second best thing was going to be was kind of shopping. Um, but it turned out that that was actually the third best thing, because the second best thing was catching up with all my friends, or at least the ones I could. So I, I caught up with a couple family members while I was there. I caught up with the bassist and drummer of Big Pimp Jones, who is a band that is kind of I'm part of, but that's sort of permanently on hiatus and we continue to make music, but I'm not sure we'll ever play a live show again. But you know, who knows? And, and so that part was just so great to catch up with old friends, you know, and, uh, and then another friend I caught up with named Scheme Richards who um, is a, he's, he goes by the adage of like the nostalgia king and he collects comics, records, d the dude collects everything. In fact, um, he now writes, uh, he, he tends to get interviewed a lot for Holy Mountain Printing's new magazine. It's a really cool magazine called We Do What We Want. And uh, man, that is a great magazine because it has shit from like Ultraman to comics to death metal. It's basically a magazine tailor made for me. Mm. And uh, and I'm super excited about it. So anyway, um, I'm, I'm doing this all to set him up because I went over to his house and uh, and just chilled with him for a couple hours because that's all I had. And while he and I have been friends for, you know, like a dozen years at this point and really got to know each other through music. Um, he's also a collector of comics, among a lot of other things. And so what I was really interested in is the fact that, you know, listeners of the podcast know that I have kind of gone back into the deep end of comics collecting. And in a way, you know, in, in kind of going for the nostalgia of when I first got into comics, which would be roughly like 1984 to 1987, I have now realized that I have the things I want to look for, right? Because the way that I collect comics is you can't collect them all. My goal is not to be a walking overstreet price guide where I understand that like, hey, this book's only six, but its book value is 12. I'm going to buy it. No, all I want to do is just buy the stuff I like. And so what I was really interested in was asking Scheme about what, what are his things? You know, like I have my things. What are his things? And what was really interesting to hear and what I'm curious about, not only with you, Scott, but maybe if any listeners want to chime in and hit us up is... He mentioned that there's not characters he looks for. What he looks for is themes. Days And um, the couple that he really goes for are prison riots. Is there a prison riot? And uh, what was the other one? Drug use. 
<laughs> to your point, Scott, kind of what you were just talking about, there's a cool way to date yourself and there's a horrible way to date yourself. And I can't remember what he showed me, but he had these issues that he had of Green Arrow where like one of the 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 like friends of Green Arrow or like one of his youth assistants, I'm not a Green Arrow friend, is addicted to heroin. Yeah, Speedy. It's very famous. That's a very famous cover where uh Okay. Uh, yeah, he's like injected. Yeah. We're yeah, shooting yeah, yeah. up. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so good. That's cool that you know it. But it, it's those kind of things where when he was talking to me about it and he's showing me the covers, he's just like, there's no way anybody ever makes this cover again. There's just right. no way in hell. And that's why this cover is so interesting. Good or not, it kind of summarizes the era in a very interesting way. And, right. and it fits well with kind of his holistic way of thinking back of the 70s. And uh, so, yes, when you see that drug use cover, you realize that this was one of the most important things facing people way back in the day. And that it was the kind of thing that people weren't afraid to publicize on on comic book covers. So anyway. Uh, how about you? Do you do you actually have? I mean, it kind of opened my eyes because I don't really look for themes, but it's something that I might start looking to and and uh, keep an eye out for. Um, how about you, man? Is that anything you look for, or would you consider looking for that? Well, it, it's very cool. That's a very different way of collecting. That's that's not something I had ever thought of. Um, I do have a tendency to usually follow creators. So wherever certain creators go, that's usually where I go. And, um, like I have a whole drawer that's just Jim Lee, um, you know, like, uh, like a lot of those, those early image guys, like the next, next wave guys, like, uh, Joe Mad, uh, J. Scott Campbell, Humberto Ramos. Um, I would collect them. I would kind of follow them around in whatever they got, Lenil U. And, um, so that's, that's more of how I collect. And then I also once in a while follow characters. So like Nightwing, for instance, okay. if, if I find Nightwing in a back issue or something on the cheap, I'll pick it up. And uh, just to kind okay. of like fill the collection in on him. Uh, but yeah, I've never thought about that, like themes in a book. It's very interesting. It is. It is. And and the and it's funny you mentioned the characters thing, because that's really the lines I think along. You know, when it comes to me, it's like Doctor Doom, Galactus, Ghost Rider. Those are really the three that I like looking for the most. Um, and then obviously I just, I like the Fantastic Four. I like Amazing Spider-Man. Again, we're talking about books that I'm looking for from the 1970s, obviously. 1970s, 1980s, 1990s. Um, when it comes to today, I'm obviously looking for a very, very different kind of book. But we're talking about specifically dipping your toes into the collecting waters. And back then it was kind of the big two and maybe an occasional indie along the way, but, uh, but not really. Right. So, yeah, anyway, yeah, just pretty a pretty interesting way of thinking about collecting, you know, so I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I dude, I could I could talk more about Philly, but I wanted to try to keep it kind of hewn in in terms of what the comic stuff was and what might be relevant to this podcast. But it was a good trip. Right on, man. That sounds like a really cool trip. Sounds like a fun trip. Um, you got to yeah. catch up with friends and family and all that stuff. You got to, you know, the kid got to do the fencing and it went well. So all in all, it sounds like a really, really excellent time. Hell yeah. And I got to eat like a, a, a budget God, right? I got to, I got to rock the <laughs> cheese steaks and Philadelphia has something that Southern California does not have, which is like, you really sort of subsist on deli sandwiches in Philadelphia. And okay. one thing I don't know of a lot here is like delis. When it comes to eating here, man, it's a lot of like rice dishes, Mexican food, Asian food, you know, uh, coastal Pacific kind of food, a lot of like mm -hmm. protein and rice type dishes. And that's something that like, good luck finding that shit in Philadelphia. But what you <laughs> will find is a hundred, a hundred thousand delis, 
right? And uh, and so yeah, man, it was it was fun to eat really good sandwiches, and you know, it, it yeah, all, all good, man. A really what good kind trip. Of, what kind of style um, of pizza yeah. do you guys have out there? What kind of style of pizza do you guys farm? It's it's basically the New York style. I mean, for for simplification, um, whatever the local food court, the Sabaro is. You know, Sabaro is a very New York style pizza. So big slices, flat crust, um, thin crust. Sorry, and uh, and kind of a doughy a doughy crust on the end, and just you know cheese and cheese and sauce. Man, that's my favorite way to go when it comes with that. And I think I ended up being there for like a week, and then I was finally like, damn, I have not had a good sliced pizza since I've been here. And then we found a place and it was just this absolutely enormous fucking slice, man. And I got two and my wife was like, are you really going to eat those two? Oh, I knocked them back like a champ, man. I was so hungry. (laughs) Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Awesome, man. That's great to hear. All right. So I think that brings us to the end. So when it comes to Instagram, you can find me at Keith underscore decibel on Instagram. That is me posting records, food, music, uh, places I go, whatever. And then there is at Kadoja Kaiju, all one word. And that is all things Kadoja and giant monsters. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Also, don't forget, you guys can email us at makingcomicspodcast and uh, send us questions, comments, concerns. Uh, you want to chime in with your pet peeves, uh, something, uh, the way you collect, what's different, the way you do things compared to others. So we'd, we'd love to hear from you guys. And you can also hit us up on any of those social media platforms we just told you about. Yeah, totally, totally. And then uh, when it comes to websites, so the main site that I have is KeithRFoster.com. There's blog posts, there's stuff on Kadoja. But a nice little fun thing is you could also theoretically type in the website just like the Instagram, KadojaKaiju.com. And that website's going to redirect you anyway, but uh, that's a website that's out there. We have it. So KadojaKaiju.com, KeithRFoster.com, they're all going to lead you in the same place. And there's goodness at that site. And you can go to AccidentalAliens.com to pick up my books and other Accidental Alien creators. Second Shift, to tell the minimum wage workers during the day and superheroes at night. And Wanderers of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans. A thousand years in the future, we start colonizing other planets and come across the planet Melisanda, where the meteor never hit, dinosaurs survived and evolved. So, two dominant species trying to coexist on one planet. Uh, how will that work? Will that work? No, it probably won't work. I thought you were going to say it never does. I mean, this, this actually does. brings up a fun thing that, hey, never comic does. shows are starting up soon. And at a couple of them, at least one of them in Phoenix, uh, at the beginning of 2022, I think, we're going to be sharing a table. And... Uh, you know, we we have the innate ability to not only cover for each other at at the booth, but pitch each other's books at the booth, mm-hmm. right? Because we know each other's pitches from all these years. So yeah, man, I'm I'm ready to rock some Wanders of Melisandre right now. Yes, man, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm excited. I'm ready. Too. I got this. I got this, brother. <laughs> yeah, hey, shows are coming back. So anyway, everybody out there, you have a great week, and we will catch you next week, man. See you on the other side. Fire books. There you go.